Good morning, dear friends. How wonderful it is to be together on this Lord's Day, even though we're together on a Facebook site, not in person. We're all looking forward to the day that we can meet face to face, give those hugs and enjoy one another's actual presence. But today we're still enjoying our virtual reality and our relationships with one another. I'd like to pray as we begin this part of our service today. Heavenly Father, we open our hearts today to what you want to do. Lord, as we look into your word, as we rest in you, we ask that you would make Jesus more real to us than ever. Holy Spirit, we say come. Come and bring life into your word. Come and change our hearts and minds and lives through what you've given to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we just celebrated Easter two weeks ago, and last week we had a very wonderful sermon from our lead pastor, John O'Reilly. It was a sermon filled with joy. It was really um, something that vibrated in my heart today, and I think if you saw it, it, it did in yours, and if you didn't see it, go back and look at it. We're still dealing with the theme, Life from the Cross, but today the specific title is Life from the Cross, the Kingdom of God is at Hand. And we're going to look together at John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. Now, if you are a person who was raised in church, and you may not be, you know about John 3. It's definitely one of the best known chapters in the Bible. It has this fantastic verse in it that lots and lots of Christians have memorized, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have eternal life. And what a powerful verse that is. But I'm going to do something a little different here at the beginning of the sermon because of something that Jesus says in this chapter that a lot of people probably just rush right over. In this chapter, Jesus talks about a snake. Now, snakes are part of my past. I've never owned a pet snake, anything like that. But I grew up in Highlands, Texas, on the east bank of the San Jacinto River, right by the woods. And we had all four types of poisonous snakes that are found in the United States, right there. And over the years, all four types of snakes were found in our yard. My brother, my younger brother, uh, actually got bitten by a snake. It bit him on the heel. He was only three years old. I, I guess the poison, if there was any, went into his cartilage of his heel and he didn't even get sick. I had a very close encounter with a snake uh, many times. One time I was trimming some hedges and uh, Clipping away, and I saw what I thought were brown leaves in the hedge and looked more closely. It was a copperhead snake that had crawled up in there just inches from my hand. But I want you to know in the passage that Jesus cites in the middle of John chapter 3, it's a passage from Numbers 21. I've never had an experience with snakes like the children of Israel did in the desert. But the things I experienced as a kid with snakes in the woods around Highlands, Texas, are nothing compared to what the children of Israel experienced in the wilderness with snakes. A 
passage in Numbers 21 that Jesus quotes. And um, suddenly they were attacked by venomous snakes. Lots and lots of them were bitten. They were dying. And God spoke to Moses. And this we read in Numbers 21, 8 through 9. Then the Lord told him, make a replica of a poisonous snake and attach it to a pole. God is speaking to Moses. All who are bitten will live if they simply look at it. So Moses made a snake out of bronze and attached it to a pole. Then anyone who was bitten by a snake could look at the bronze snake and be healed. Now Jesus cites this passage immediately before giving us this fantastic verse we all know, John 3.16. So it's intricately tied to the fact that God sent his only son into the world to die so we would not perish. Think about it. The children of Israel were perishing from the snakes. And God said, Moses, make a bronze snake and put it on a pole. And anyone who looks to the snake will live. This is something so important. We have to get it. And it's so pertinent to understanding what we mean when we say the kingdom of God is at hand as we talk about John 3.16. It's not clear immediately, but I hope it will be before this sermon is finished. So this passage about the snake is in the middle of a chapter that begins with Jesus talking with a man named Nicodemus about the kingdom of God and about being born again and introduces to us all kinds of phrases and theological thoughts that need explanation. What does it mean to be born again? What, what is the kingdom of God? And so we're going to look at some of these things. And so first we want to just say the kingdom of God is at hand. And I'm going to read now John 3, 1 through 12. If you'd like to get your Bible uh, or look it up on your phone and read along, if not, we have it on the screen. There was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. After dark one evening, he came to Jesus and he spoke with him. And he said, Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can, reduce, can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. And then Nicodemus asked a key question. How are these things possible? Jesus replied, You are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Well, we may be confused with Nicodemus, and we may be asking, well, how are these things possible? What on earth does Jesus mean 
about entering the kingdom of God? What on earth does he mean about being born again? What does he mean about being born of the water and of the Spirit? Now, that last one I'm just going to very briefly mention for a moment here. Most commentators would say that Jesus is talking about water baptism and about being born of the Spirit, and those two things go together. I'm not going to get into a big controversy about it. I would just say I think that's a pretty good interpretation. And yet we may still be confused with Nicodemus. So I want to point out to you that to enter the kingdom, as Jesus said, you must be born again, you must be born from above, and we find those two terms, uh, the, the Greek behind those terms can be translated either way. So this prompts me to want to answer the question or try to answer the question, what is the kingdom of God? And I'm not going to take a long time with this, but I'm just going to say it like this. The kingdom of God is the realm of God's loving rule. It is an eternal kingdom of life and light and healing and goodness and salvation. To really put this in context and to get a little more background, background on what it means, to be born again so that we can enter the kingdom of God, we need to look a little further in John chapter 3. Jesus went on to say, No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in Him will have eternal life. And again, we come to John 3.16. For this is how God loved the world, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have eternal life. And then verse 17, God sent His Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through Him. So back to the issue of what it means to be born again and how to be born again. The Lord is saying here, being born again starts with looking to Jesus. He reminds us of the snake on the pole in the wilderness and said all they had to do to be saved was to look at the bronze serpent. Looking to Jesus, Jesus makes clear, means believing in him, believing in Jesus, our king. You see, the kingdom has a king. And so looking to Jesus means believing in Him. In a moment, we're going to talk more about what it means to believe in Him. As we look to Jesus, as we believe in Him, we enter the kingdom of God because this is how we are born again, by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Like the children of Israel we, who look to the bronze snake, we look to Jesus in a moment, I'm going to talk more about how we do look to Jesus, how we do believe in Jesus. But I just want to take a step back and talk about two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God, but there's another kingdom. There's the kingdom of this world. We find that reference in Revelation chapter 11. And there's the kingdom of God. The first kingdom is ruled over by the prince of the world. Jesus says that in John chapter 12. He's the prince of darkness. He's called the ruler of the kingdom of air in Ephesians. He is depicted as a snake first in Genesis and all the way to the end of the book in Revelation chapter 12. 
He's called that old serpent. To follow the metaphor that Jesus wants us to think of, the serpent has bitten everyone, every human being. Everyone has been poisoned. No exceptions. Everyone. This messes up the world. It means that the kingdom of this world is a kingdom of darkness and death and sickness, murder and stealing and lying and adultery and you name it. He's really messed things up. And then all human beings, because of this, again, following the metaphor, this poisonous snake bite, if you will allow me to follow that metaphor for a moment, every human being is going to die. And so um, we have this image in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 through 6, that explains how a little bit more about how the snake, how the serpent, how the ruler of this kingdom works to keep people in his realm, to keep them in his kingdom. And it says this, the God of this age, and that's the serpent, that's the devil, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And Paul goes on to say, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Jesus Christ. So we see that the ruler of this age, he works, he spreads his poison around, uh, he keeps people under his dominion by blinding them so that they do not look to Jesus so that they do not put their faith in Jesus, so that they cannot see Jesus on the cross who would otherwise deliver them from their sins, heal them and deliver them from their coming death. You see, Jesus wants to save us from this curse of death. He wants to save us from this curse of sin. He wants to save us from the God of this age. He wants to become our king in a new kingdom. Praise God. And the second kingdom is God's kingdom. Again, following the metaphor, all those who acknowledge that they have been poisoned by the snake and influenced by him and instead look to Jesus for salvation, they will be saved. So the Lord is present to everyone who is watching this sermon this morning, everyone who's participating in this service. The Lord is present if you're blinded and you're not seeing the glory of Jesus, that would mean your salvation. The Lord is present to rip that blinder off. All you have to do is ask Him to do it. He will gladly reveal Jesus to you so that you can be saved. How is it that Jesus compares Himself to the snake? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Of course, Jesus never sinned. But on the cross, He takes our sin upon Himself. He identifies with our sinfulness. It is, as it were, that He takes on the poisonous things that we have received from the enemy, and He dies in our place. Now, it's not as though God the Father has sent His Son uh, you know, because the Father wants somebody else to suffer. He's not going to suffer. It's not anything like that at all. You see, Jesus is God. 
God is triune, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So God himself, God himself becomes sin for us, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. And so for Jesus, it's very appropriate to compare himself to the serpent on the pole in the wilderness. And so this leads to a powerful question. Do you believe this? Do you believe John 3.16, that God loved you and the whole world so much that he came to become sin for you so that you would not perish? He came to deliver you from the enemy, to deliver you from the serpent, to deliver you and heal you from the poison that ultimately will lead to your death. Do you believe this? Are you looking to Jesus today for your own salvation? Now let's talk a little bit more about what it means to believe in Jesus, to look to Jesus. It's more than a magical prayer. Some people think, oh, if I just say the words, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. If you just say the words magically, your life is transformed. It's so much more than that. It's so much more than mental assent, just sort of agreeing in your mind. Yeah, historically, I believe there was a man named Jesus who died on the cross and rose on the third day from the grave. We must believe that, but it's, it's more than mental assent. And it's much more than turning to Him just so we won't perish, uh, like a fire insurance policy. Oh, I better do this so I won't go to hell. Although, of course, if we do turn to Jesus, we won't perish. But it's so much more than those things that so often people substitute for true biblical belief, what Jesus is calling for, the belief that causes you to be born again and gives you entrance into the kingdom of God. I know you want that belief. I know you want to understand that. And so do I. So I just want to say, belief in Jesus means acknowledging, it means inviting, and it means purposing. Belief in Jesus means acknowledging that you need Him. Acknowledging who He is, that He is the Savior of the world, that He is God in the flesh, that He died on the cross for you, that He rose for your justification. And it involves acknowledging who you are, that like all the rest, you've been poisoned, you're messed up, you need help, you need salvation, you need healing, you need deliverance, you need to be saved from eternal death. And it means inviting, it means inviting Him to come into your life, inviting Jesus to come into your life, to cleanse you of your sin, to deliver you from the poison. It means inviting uh, the Holy Spirit who makes Jesus real to come in and become a part of your life. And it means purposing. It means purposing in your heart that you're going to take Jesus as King for the rest of your life. You're going to walk with Him as He inspires you and enables you through His Holy Spirit for the glory of the Father. You're going to allow the Holy Spirit to make Jesus real to you and let Jesus reveal the glory of the Father in His face, as it said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You're going to purpose to fulfill His will in your life, to be used of Him for His glory, and you're going to purpose to uh, carry through with this until the day of your physical death, if you should die before Jesus returns. Knowing that you die in the promise 
of the future resurrection, knowing that those who die in Christ are immediately with the Lord and their bodies are waiting for the resurrection. This is the true result of Easter for us. I was almost 19 years old before I really began to understand this. I asked the Lord to save me many times in my life. I was expecting some kind of a magic bullet from Him or something. I don't know. I was, I was anticipating Him doing something to me that would make me sinless and perfect. So I would ask Him to save me. And then the first time I did something bad, I think it didn't work. I was so messed up. But gradually, um, he began to reveal his grace to me. And then when I was almost 19 years of age, he showed me. And I opened my life to him. I acknowledged what I needed to acknowledge. I invited him in. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he caused me to be born again. And that's what he's offering you. And having been born again, then I purposed to live for Him. And I want you to know it hasn't always been easy. It's been a constant uh, struggle in many ways to keep growing, to, to keep becoming like Jesus, to keep being made into the image of Jesus. But when you, by His grace, believe what, the, what is clearly the teaching of John 3, when you embrace this understanding of what belief is, and when you allow Him to cause you to be born again, and you enter the kingdom of God, then you see Jesus, and you look to Jesus, and there's a constant healing. There's this fantastic verse, 2 Corinthians 3.18, it's almost become my life verse, which says this, and, and it makes me think of looking to Jesus, which makes me think of the serpent on the cross. But we all, with unveiled faces, remembering that the enemy has blinded the people of this world who have not yet put their faith in Jesus. But we all with unveiled faces, having been rescued by God, are beholding the glory of the Lord. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even by the Lord, the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is at work to transform those who have believed in Jesus and the biblical meaning of belief who have been born again, who have been given entrance into the kingdom of God, the Lord makes a contract with us to transform us so that we become like Jesus in His character and in His ministry. And it's still going on in me. It started when I was almost 19, and I'm going to be 75 this year. I still have so far to go. But it is such a joyful thing. It is such a joyful thing to cooperate with the king, to know that I'm in the kingdom of God, to know that I've been born again, to know that he'll never give up on me. And I'm just inviting you today to take a part in that. There's one final passage that I haven't read from John 3 that's part of our text for today. And I just want to say, it, it lets us know that the kingdom of God is at hand. Will you choose light or darkness? So let me read these verses, starting in verse 18 through verse 21. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in Him, who believes in Jesus, in the way we've been talking about faith. But anyone who does not believe in Him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. But it's not a judgment without hope, you see. All you have to do is 
Lord, get the blinders off so I can believe. And he'll hasten to do that. He wants to do that. The judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. And he's saying to you today, don't be like that. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. Listen, the people who are in great danger are the people who hate the light of God. Don't, <laughs> don't be a part of that crowd. Open your heart to Him and say, Lord, I don't hate your light, even though it's painful for me to come into the light and have everything exposed that needs to be dealt with. I do it. Rip the mask off and bring me into the light that I might be saved. Those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God's want, what God wants. And so... This is the powerful message that we receive today from John chapter 3. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It's going to be on the screen. And this prayer is a prayer that leads us to this path of faith that I talked about. It leads us to being born again. It leads us into the kingdom of God, which is at hand for you today. If you've already prayed this prayer before, join me in praying it again. Uh, as I said, I came into this way when I was almost 19 years of age. But it's still fresh to me today, and it's still something I need today. And I want to invite all believers to pray this prayer with me. But I particularly want to invite any of you, you realize you haven't yet been healed, you haven't yet been delivered, and somehow you have hope in your heart right now that things can change for you. And so I'm going to pray this prayer with you. And you just pray it with me. I believe it's going to be on the screen in Spanish and English. So if your mother tongue is Spanish, feel free to pray it in Spanish. Lord Jesus Christ, I am sorry for the things I have done wrong in my life. I just take a moment to bring those things into the light. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything which I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.